Welcome back to the Excited for Equity podcast. This is your host, Simone here, and I'm so excited today today <laughs> to be talking about part two of the conversation we started a couple weeks ago on the Great Racial Awakening. So our last episode, we talked about We talked about what went down in terms of the great racial awakening of June 2020, and today we're going to talk about the aftermath. So I'm going to tackle it from a few different perspectives. The first perspective being brands and companies. Um, I'll also touch on the online business community. I'll talk about interpersonally and things that I've seen. And then we're going to be talking about my own healing and how... um, I personally have prioritized my own well-being as a DEI practitioner, as a human, as a Black woman, and I think that's a really important conversation. Um, And then we'll end it off with why we need to be focused on that collective and structural change so we can actually avoid having this happen again, which that's not a guarantee, (laughs) but it's always a good thing to work towards. So let's get started. So, sigh, heavy sigh. So, I think one of the first components that I want to talk about in terms of the aftermath of the Great Awakening is, you know, have things changed? Um, And from a brand perspective and a company organizational perspective, I have been working with quite a few different organizations. Um, I have been doing the work behind the scenes, and I have to say that a lot of times it looks a little bleak, and I have to be honest, I have to be real, and I think a lot of organizations saw June of 2020 as an opportunity and saying like, oh my gosh, racism exists, and our um, our employees are unhappy, so oh my goodness, now we are dealing with the great resignation, which I think really affected a lot of black and brown folks because all of a sudden the job market was hot. All of a sudden people just didn't want to put up with the BS of being employed at racist companies. So what I saw happening is that after June of 2020, there were a lot of injustices and events that happened. And it's almost like the brands didn't even understand, I should say organizations instead of brands, but it's almost like the organizations didn't learn anything from June of 2020 in terms of communication, in terms of taking care of their people, in terms of setting up support for the most marginalized um, people and for black and brown people specifically. It seems like they didn't learn anything. And I have to say they, as a broad statement, I want to say these are patterns and things that I've noticed at organizations. Not every single organization is going to fall into this category. But instead of doubling down on, I don't know, the black and brown people who lurk inside of your company or you, you know, are collaborating with or you are working with vendors, instead of you know, doubling down there and saying, like, we want to take care of our people. Instead, I saw a lot of brands place a lot of stock in things like rainbow washing. Um, I know this is different than, you know, racial equity, but things like celebrating Black History Month, but not really ever supporting structure, structurally supporting Black people. Um, I saw a lot of brands who, you know, they're like, we're amplifying Black voices for a week and then that's it, you know? So I think the biggest theme was 
not doing the deep, structural, messy, hard work of going into an organization and saying, like, these are all the things that could be improved. These are all the things that are progressing growth for Black and Brown folks. Um, and let's solve those. And that is one of the biggest misses that still exists to this day. And I think it was kind of like a little... I don't want to use this analogy, but like a little cattle prod, like a little, um, maybe like a fly swatter. I don't know. I don't, I don't like violence, but, um, you know, it was like a little poke. It was like a little prick. Um, but it wasn't a full on surgery, which is what needs to happen at a lot of organizations is a full on 24 hour, you know, whatever surgery that needs to be intense and kind of fix, take a long time to fix the culture. Um, and not all cultures can be quote unquote fixed. I want to say that, but I think it's really important to take a step back for a lot of these organizations and say like, have we learned anything since June of 2020? And a lot of times the answer is no. (laughs) Have we made any lasting impact or change? No. Have we actually ensured that our leadership is racially diverse? No. So all of these things in the aftermath of today, I still get people all the time Um, I don't want to say people, I get organizations come to me all of the time and they say, well, how can we make sure that our board is more diverse? Okay, well, do you want to address systemic racism? Oh, no, absolutely not. (laughs) So it's like you have to be willing as an organization to go there and get some hard answers and get some uncomfortable feedback in order to make change. And most companies are really not looking for that. They're looking for that amazing win that they can plaster on LinkedIn. They, you know, promoted somebody after a year who's black and that was that, you know, so they're not really interested in doing the work on on a general scale. When it comes to my other demographic um, that I serve, not a demographic, but my other audience that I serve, um, the online business community, much love for the online business community, much love for my entrepreneurs, but mm, y'all are struggling. (laughs) And when I say y'all are struggling, I'm specifically referring to non-Black entrepreneurs who have engaged or have wanted to engage in racial equity work, anti-racism work, and just have really fallen short, in my opinion. I mean, I really thought that from a service perspective, from a business perspective, there would be more uh, need and want for actual change within your business or your business. I'm sorry, I'm tripping over my words today. I'm kind of a tiny bit sick. Um, And I am, (laughs) I really wanted to get this podcast out. So that's why I'm here. But um, there's been a lot of people, entrepreneurs, individuals who as well, just like organizations really just want to look like they're doubling down on inclusive marketing, right? And inclusive marketing is fantastic. That's what I teach on and educate on a lot. That's what I believe in. But there's a ground base level, which is, knowledge, understanding bias, understanding how systems of oppression play out in your business. And with a lot of business owners, they're they're not willing to have those uncomfortable conversations or they're really not interested in investing in this work and look beyond the business case. So I still have a lot of people coming to me and saying like, I'm missing a whole demographic. I'm missing a target market, which is black women. How do I market to black women? It's like, 
well, why do you, why have you only had white women join your programs before? Like, what is the messaging? What is the um, supports that you have in place for black women? Oh, I don't have any, or I don't even understand what that means. Right. Um, Is it a safe space for, for black and brown people? Oh, I don't even know, but uh, I'm not sure because I've never had anyone in my programs. Okay, well, we've got a problem. We've got a messaging problem. We've got a values problem. We've got a mission problem. We've got a relatability problem. And so many people, and even some of the clients I've worked with, still, even after receiving detailed plans about what I would suggest doing and what, how I would approach it, what I, what I think they should do. They still don't implement it. They still just sit in that same shameful place, um, stuck place, immobile, where I think a lot of white people get with anti-racism work because they're stuck in this white supremacy mindset of perfectionism. So it has to be the perfect move. It has to be the perfect DEI statement. It has to be the perfect message. It never can just, for me, what I've noticed is that for a lot of former clients, it can't just come from the heart and be imperfect and messy. It has to be this calculated, you know, drawn out thing because so many people are afraid of getting their words wrong. So many people are afraid of messing up what they're going to say instead of speaking from a place of, This message is so important. I have to get it out there. People need to know where my heart lives. People need to know where I stand. And that's more important to me than getting every single word in, getting it wrong. Getting it um, wrong, yeah. And I, I have had some amazing clients who have taken to their social media. They've taken to their website. They've taken videos they've they've expressed consistently how they feel and really fought the good fight in terms of I mean it's never over but they've actually made progress and have collaborated and have donated and have um, changed around equitable business practices I have had some clients like that but I have to say (laughs) it's few and far between it really is a lot of times I'll deliver a full strategy to a client and they don't execute on it because they're scared and they're scared of what people are going to think of it. And they're so afraid that also the non-Black people in their audience are going to be offended or give pushback that they're not even really concerned or as concerned as the people who need to be protected the most and the people who need to hear the message that we're here in solidarity. So that's a problem. And that's been a problem since June of 2020. Until businesses and small businesses and entrepreneurs look past that business case scenario, um, then it's just going to be the same old, same old. And I hate to have it be pessimistic, but that's really what the aftermath is. The industry is still incredibly white. It is run by a capitalistic white supremacy hustle culture. Like the things that are still promoted in the online business industry are hustle culture, grind till you're dead, girl boss, girl boss era, right? Um, All of that is stemming from patriarchy, white supremacy, um, capitalism, all of these systems that are not helpful, especially when you're not when you are in a black or brown body, <laughs> especially, 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 and especially if you have an intersectional identity, like you're a black queer entrepreneur, or you are a black 
entrepreneur with disabilities or a brown entrepreneur with disabilities, you are not going to relate to a lot of the messaging. You're not going to relate to a lot of the things. I don't relate to a lot of the things that are going on. And that's why I've largely been absent because I'm like, I don't, this, this isn't me. I don't fit here. I want to talk about liberation. I want to talk about shared amazing things that we're doing. I want to talk about change and how we're making change, how we're considering creating equitable systems, how we're building our our business with pleasure and fun and experimentation. Listen, I could go on forever, but I truly believe that the great racial awakening, a lot, especially with entrepreneurs and people getting canceled, which I don't know if I touched on that last time, but I don't believe in cancellation. <laughs> I think, especially with online entrepreneurs and the way like funnels and passive income, all that is set up. Even if you wanted to cancel some of these entrepreneurs who have said problematic or racist things, it's not entirely possible to take away their income. You could deplatform them, but they could pop up on TikTok. You could say no more Instagram account for you, but they'll pop up on TikTok. You could say no more Facebook for you, but they'll pop up on LinkedIn. So there's not really a deplatforming, and especially platforms like LinkedIn are heavily problematic because they don't protect brown and black folks from harassment. And that's what I've noticed. Um, Instagram, I feel like is a little bit higher up in terms of they will, they will block, they will block you. They will take down your account with the quickness, but LinkedIn, they will let you, they will let some racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic um, content live and breathe. They don't really give a shit. And that's, that's on, <laughs> that's on Mary had a little lamb. I truly believe that. Cause I've been in that space more and more recently. And I'm like, Ooh, I don't want to post here as much because people just, they, they're not, yeah, they're not being protected. So I would say for that, for that's the online business community aftermath. um, hopeful things that I hope to see. And then I am starting to see a little bit is that I see brands and individual business owners who are willing to say the thing that, you know, is not popular, that may lose some followers, that, you know, shows where their solidarity lives, lives, lives. <laughs> but I do think that it takes a great amount of courage um, for anyone to share their values. And more and more, what we're realizing is that online business and Online business and our personal lives are very closely related. And anybody who's like, your business is your business, your personal life is your personal life, is not seeing the evolution of social media. TikTok is booming because people love seeing little TikTok videos of your life and your views of what you think. They're more invested in you than like your business tips. And so people from Instagram are, are feeling it a lot right now. This is just the social strategist side of me speaking, but people from Instagram and Facebook are feeling this a lot, um, even on LinkedIn and like more and more personal posts, more and more, this is me. This is my family story. This is what's important to me. This is my value. All of that stuff is going to be a lot more prevalent and you cannot separate yourself from your business. If you're a business who, if you're a business owner who does not uh, do ethical business practices or is exclusionary, it's going to be really tough 
for you to succeed on a widespread level because we're seeing the takedown, not the takedown, but we're seeing a lot of the stars of the online business industry being exposed and saying, hey, like this person scammed me out of money. This person um, said something racist on a call. So I've seen a lot of that. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing that those people are being called out and, you know, other people are thinking about maybe this isn't the person I want to work with. So I can definitely talk about the online business industry all day. I've already spent so much time talking about it. I'm going to move on. I want to talk about my own healing. So after June, 2020, I personally, I'm going to get personal here. So trigger warning, I'm going to talk about depression, anxiety, um, mental health. After June 2020, I had an incredibly busy calendar and I was saying yes to too many things. I said yes to pretty much every opportunity that came my way, except for podcast episodes. I said no to those (laughs) because so many of those podcast episodes were from entrepreneurs, specifically white entrepreneurs who (laughs) I just knew I was never going to have a relationship with. And my whole, a big part of what I believe in is community building, relationship building. If you're not building community with me or trying to form a relationship, but you're just transactional trying to get me on a podcast, I always say no. Like, I'm just like, no, I don't know you. Um, I say yes to my friends. I say yes to the people in my community, but I say no to that. So Part of my healing was deep boundary work around my schedule, around timing, around engagements that I took on. Because I took on everything and I had like five facilitations a week and it was just too much and I was so burnt out and so resentful. So I really had to give myself a big permission slip to say, no, I'm not going to do these type of engagements. And now the aftermath of that as well for my own healing is stepping away from one-off DEI trainings. I'm not doing as many of those. They have to be a really special one for me to do it um, because I don't think that long-term sustainability wise, it doesn't fit into my values anymore. Um, I had to go to therapy. I had to go therapy. I had to do a lot of self-care. I had to block people. I had to cuss people out and Yes, looking back on it, it was not the best idea to do that. And I am embarrassed. I'm not crying. I'm just sniffling. (laughs) I'm embarrassed a little bit of some of the things I said and did because it was just a highly charged emotional time. And I was at the forefront of it. Thousands and thousands of people were following me and just weirdly tagging me doing like massive tagging events where I would have I'm not kidding I would have like 200 dms I usually like even out I like 10 dms which is totally fine I don't like a lot of dms um but I would have these massive tagging events and it was just messing with me like I was not able to heal or process or any of that so I started going to therapy that was amazing I started to lean into boundaries and self-care and slow mornings I didn't work until 11 a.m um, because I just I needed that time to just process and it took me probably a year to like step out of that traumatized like PTSD I never got diagnosed but I feel like I had PTSD and I think a lot of a lot of me and my brothers and my sisters, we really, we went through it. And especially if you're a black online business owner, you just saw the ups and downs. So 
healing to me was just saying no to everything, going inward, reflecting, getting back in touch with my spiritual practice. I love human design. So leaning into that, um, leaning into just the things I believe in, um, nature, just being outside. My hammock was very healing. (laughs) I love my hammock. Um, and just, just like being with my family, being with my community because I needed that. So I'm still healing. I still have it flare up every now and then like triggers around the great racial awakening. And like, especially when I have people who come into my world and say, well, Hey, you know, I actually posted something in June of 2020. So I am anti-racist and I'm like, no, and it's very triggering. So I have to really watch what I'm doing and what I'm saying and who I'm around to this day. Another big part of my healing was looking at my own business practices and looking at how I operated and rejecting white supremacy and wholesale (laughs) hustle culture. So I had to really forgive myself for engaging in hustle culture. I had to forgive myself for taking every single opportunity out of a scarcity mindset, which is a tool of white supremacy is scarcity. There won't be enough. I won't, I won't have this opportunity ever again. I'll never have a podcast. I'll never uh, you know, a podcast interview with this giant entrepreneur who I looked, I've looked up to for years, you know, all of these things. So I had to forgive myself afterwards because I was a big like facepalm moment. I'm like, why did I do this? And a big part of my healing was just saying, you did what you thought was best at the time. And it's okay to know better now. It's okay to do better, to know better, and to say, I won't do it like that again. <clears throat> Sorry. but yeah I just had to forgive myself and say it's okay it's okay that that happened doesn't have to happen again I want to end it off with why we need to be focused on collective and structural change in order to have this happen again I think one of the big themes here no matter if I'm talking to entrepreneurs or organizations or individuals, is accountability. Without accountability, the great racial awakening of 2020 and all of the injustices afterwards are going to be for nothing. If organizations can't be accountable for how they treat their black and brown employees, if everything gets swept under the rug and everything's just a PR statement and something flashy and fun, then we're just going to run into the same problems. And I think that structural, messy, hard change is going to help some of these organizations really reevaluate and say, our recruiting practices are off. They're racist. You know, we don't have enough support inside of our businesses. We don't have enough training programs. We don't have a mentorship track for black and brown folks. Let's make sure that we have that. And the really cool thing about, you know, making these changes, and I don't know what this is called. It's, it's like a phenomenon. Um, I learned about it in terms of accessibility. But if you have amazing programs as an organization, amazing benefits, total rewards, as they call it, if you have just the strongest culture and benefits, you attract the best talent, period. 
And then you will start getting diverse, racially diverse employees, right? So I think that structural change is part of what is working in the organization, what isn't, and really analyzing that. And that collective change does not start with a standalone allyship training or a standalone unconscious bias training. The collective really needs structural and equitable change. And organizations need to listen to the people on the inside. I think heavily investing into historically excluded people, especially black and brown folks who are already working there, who are already doing the work, they need to be they need to be compensated for their employee resource groups. They need to be compensated for the culture work that they do, for the employer brand work that they do, right? To recruit and to be around other people. And there needs to be a leadership track for black and brown folks. I think when we're focused on collective and structural change too, we are analyzing what is, what are the functions of white supremacy? What are the tools, what they call, um, what they call <laughs> the master's tools, right? And I, uh, I want to say that's bell hooks, but it could be wrong. But, you know, we will never dismantle this and I should, I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm not doing this right, but um, we will never like dismantle, dismantle this or whatever using the master's tools. And I think we have to rebuild a business and a lifestyle and workplaces that have liberation in mind, that have thriving employees in mind. And that's true equity is having everyone thrive. And justice is making sure if harm has been caused that we have accountability. We have healing. We are able to rectify the situation in a way that's not from an HR perspective that you're trying to always protect the company, but actually protect the people who are doing the work. And I feel like this is sometimes so, um, you're th we're thinking about it as a lofty goal, but I don't think it's that lofty. I think treating black and brown folks with respect, putting them on manager tracks, um, making sure that you're supporting black and brown clients. I don't think it is that hard. <laughs> and that is my honest truth. So let's prevent harm. Let's, let's stop there from being another great racial awakening. We know about racism. We've heard about racism. Let's actually do some actions and make some change. Let's invest in the liberation of all people. And I, I truly believe in that. So Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I went on my tangent. I went on my soapbox and that's just how I like it. So let me know if you enjoyed this. Go ahead and um, rate the podcast on Spotify. Just hit that little star button to rate it. Uh, come to my Instagram at Simone.McNish. Let me know what you thought about the episode and what you've learned, what key takeaways that you saw. Um, anything that I missed out, uh, especially if you are a black or brown person, if there's anything that you were like, oh, I wish you had said this too, let me know. Let your girl know. Anyway, so rate the podcast, share it with your friends, and I will see you on the next episode. Bye.